Welcome to our podcast, where we talk about everything there is to talk about from an LGBTQIA plus 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 lens from across two places in Southeast Asia. I'm O for out of whack. And I'm D for down. And this is Queer from the Streets. So this week, we're going to talk about mental health. Um, and I said I'm D for down because I... I I have been actually having a tougher time with my mental health of late. Um, mm-hmm. Malaysia, I mean, every, I mean, the pandemic is still going on. Um, and I think the reality is that it will be going on into a significant part of next year. And I think even though I was sort of prepared for that mentally, it's still sort of wearing me down. And yeah, so. Yeah, um, but it, it, so do you think it's because of the environment? Because, you know, you mentioned being in Malaysia and I, mean, I guess, I mean, I'm not in Malaysia at the moment. Um, so I, I know Malaysia is going through a lot of crazy upheavals in terms of political shit. Yeah. <laughs> and also the, a third wave, obviously. But um, do, I mean, do you think it's mostly due to the fact that you're in Malaysia as an environment or are there sort of other factors? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I don't, know how much different it would be i think the chaos politically doesn't help yeah Mm. and we may or may not be in an emergency and so for our listeners outside of malaysia an emergency is when the state of emergency right state of emergency so like I'm already very frustrated with the government that we have. And I think that made yeah. me feel even more frustrated because the 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 excuse they're using is like, this emergency is necessary to curb COVID. But, um, you know, that's not true. Like we have existing laws that they could use to curb COVID. It's purely a political move. Sure. Um, this will prevent snap elections. It will allow the current people in power to just pass law without um, having parliamentary oversight. So it's very bad. Yeah, I think just, you know, just acknowledging, I think the environment itself is, I think it's the uncertainty, right? I mm-hmm. would say, like with, you know, COVID, you know, there's no vaccine and there's a third wave in Malaysia. And with the uncertainty of this government trying to pull stunts everywhere and with Anwar trying to pull another stunt two weeks ago. And then it's like, it's like a never ending cycle of stunt pulling by the Malaysian politicians. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's the uncertainty that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's very detrimental to mental health, right? And, um, you know, I'm I'm not in Malaysia at the moment, so I, where I am, it's pretty safe in terms of the way they've controlled COVID. Um, so I guess you know, if I have to reflect back to maybe four or five months ago, like in May, June, yeah, I think the uncertainty itself was pretty unrelaxing, if that's the word. Um, like it, 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 it's very invisible, right? You see all these things that, um, that affect you and you, you don't really realize it until you kind of sit down and realize that, oh shit, I, I'm not feeling great at all. Yeah. And then, um, if I compare, you know, four months ago, five months ago to where I am now, I think, you know, I think with the seemingly the COVID-19 being, um, uh, sort of externally handle and there's no sort of threat I think that has kind of brought me to a much better space yeah um, it's yeah I think the uncertainty and yeah like you said I think it was for me a couple of weeks ago I was just like really sad and I think it was an accumulation of sadness like I've just mm-hmm. like kind of not really acknowledged 
that I've been feeling sad. And then like, it just built up and I was like, God, I'm so sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I feel, I feel better. Um, do you have, how have you sort of coped with, um, the mental sort of issues? Well, not uh, issues, sorry. Yeah. The, the uncertainty. The uncertainty. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I actually don't really have an answer. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we're, we're inviting a friend of mine, a friend and, and colleague of mine, um, to talk about this. And, and one thing that she did like in the past talk to me about was, uh, and to a bunch of us at my workplace is about things you can control and things you can't control. Um, mm -hmm. and so you make a list of things you can't control. So I can't control the government, obviously. I can't control what they're doing. If only we could. Yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly. If only we could. Jeez. Um, my mental health would definitely improve. Um, yeah. uh, but I can control, um, say, doom scrolling on Twitter. Um, that's a bad habit I have. You, like the people call it doom scrolling like you're just scrolling and it's just like bad news after bad news like I mean most mm. of what's happening in the world isn't great right so um, even though like you know that you still do it because I saw someone say like you're hoping to come across something positive that might mm. snap you out of like this feeling of doom and yeah. um, but more often than not you you don't find it you know yeah but how's your domestic um, situation? Like, are you living with your family? Do you think, has it helped, do you think? Yeah, I live with my parents and my brother. And yeah. I am a person who likes a lot of alone time and space. And, and it has been a little bit... Like, while I'm very... I, ha I get along pretty well with my parents and my brother. But I think there are times where I just wish I had the house to myself. And, and the fact that I do have, like, a whole... Like, we have... Like, I have my own room. I don't have to share with anyone. Um you know, that's a big privilege. And yeah. I know not everybody's in that position. But, you know, um, yeah, there are just times where I wish I had the house to myself, like no one is around, and I can do what I want. I think I do feel certain, like, I can't do everything or anything. No, I, yeah, I just can't do everything, like, you know, when my parents are around, even simple things like, you know, my mom wants to watch TV. So I can't, you know, things like that. It's, I don't know. It's just yeah. small things. It's just like, I do wish I had a bit more space and to myself. Yeah, because for me, I, I live alone. Um, so I think, yeah, during lockdown, it was challenging for sure. Like, I kind of wish that I had someone living with me at that time. Um, only because, like, after a while, you just, like, you're just, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror and like, oh, gosh, it's you again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm so sick of seeing myself, even though I love looking at myself, but like, I want to look at someone else and talk to someone else. And obviously you get social media and you get like, you can call someone, but it's just not the same, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess like, and, and for me, I definitely like like my own privacy and I like my own space. But, you know, during lockdown, it was definitely getting to me, like for sure. Yeah. Um. But I wanna I wanna tell you something though. You should forgive yourself, like you did your ex so many times. What? Yeah, that's a quote that I got from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you should forgive you yourself know? like you did your ex so many times. That's good. That's a good one, actually. That's that's an inspirational quote I can get behind. Yeah. Yeah. Don't manage their behavior. 
manage your expectation. Uh, okay, that one I like. That's <laughs> like less interesting. Actually, this one is actually quite good. I have to say, I I picked the wrong one that is actually quite useful. This is this is a game that actually we should we should play. Actually, it's called if your Instagram is called We Are Not Really Strangers. Do you know of them? No. Apparently, it's like a card game where, um, you pull a card. It's a bit like Cards Against Humanity, which I fucking hate. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, so you just pull a card and then like they actually give you um questions to you know uh develop meaningful conversations. Oh, yeah, let's play that sometime. Yeah, which is quite cute. Hey, M. Welcome to our podcast. Um, everyone, this is M. She is a coworker and friend of mine, or I should say, friend and coworker. So that's the order of Thank our relationship. Um, <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I I joke that M is my work wife. Not joke, actually. I, I I'm pretty um, committed to M as my work wife. Um, and yeah, we um, M is here to talk about um, mental health and what you can maybe do to improve your mental health and um, some strategies that she's used and that we've used at work in this kind of difficult time. Oh, and I was just talking about how we both have had different low points during the pandemic. Um, yeah, so I think it's, you know, and, and I was talking about how the political uncertainty in Malaysia is also kind of- Oh yeah, me. this is a real, <laughs> we're picking a real low point to <laughs> record today, yeah, it's I think. Not great. <laughs> Um, but would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm M. I am the wife, friend, and co-worker in that order of T, as uh, she said. And uh, I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an activist. Cool. And, um, and how do you identify M? Um, I identify as a bisexual disaster. <laughs> I think is it a disaster bisexual? A disaster bisexual, yes, that's it. A... Wait, is there a difference? As in, like one before the other? Um, I guess I guess they both work bisexual. Disaster, yeah, it goes disaster both bisexual. ways, you know. That's like the bisexual. Cram <laughs> <laughs> the joke in there, but um, yes, disaster bisexual, bisexual disaster, kind of a bit of a focus on disaster today. Um, I'm having a bit of. It's actually kind of an apt time to be talking about mental health because um, I'm having a bit of a low day myself. But I think one of the things about kind of living with, you know, um, mental illness or any kind of uh, mental health struggles, I think, is that you're going to have a lot of days where um, it it isn't okay and it is difficult to you know, function and be out in the world. But it's not necessarily so much about pushing through the bad feelings, I think, but being honest about them and allowing them to, um, you know, be out in the open and not be ashamed of them. So that's what I'm trying to do now by um, kind of being part of this podcast and just being open about my yeah. my bias and my disasterness. <laughs> I mean, welcome. We're, you know, we 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 are very grateful that you're on. I think you know, as as the podcast went on, we were like, we should definitely get another person in <laughs> because, like, gee, I love you. But like, sometimes you gotta spice it up, you know, like in any relationship. <laughs> 
but what do you, what, I mean, I mean, this week, I mean, for me, it's I've been okay this week. So I mean, just because I'm not, um, I guess because I'm not based in KL, so I haven't, you know, been in the wrath of the political bullshit and you know all the craziness that's happening with the third wave. Um, but I guess. This week there were a couple of news, right? I'm sure you guys know. Um, you know, obviously the Pope came and said, "Oh, you know, it's you're okay to be to have a civil sex union." I think that was his exact words. Yeah, civil partnership. Yeah, and then obviously <laughs> then um, yeah, and then obviously where I am, you know, the the Archbishop of the country came out and said, "Oh, but his what he said is not actually." official papal teachings it's just uh something that he said in a documentary so <laughs> it's funny how they just try to pick what he says and what's in the book and da, 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 which you know i i mean i'm not that religious but i assume everything that he says is that not canon like i'm confused uh yeah i'm a lapsed catholic i should probably know this, <laughs> but I mean, he, yeah, he does get to direct the church, you know, and he, he's come out and said a lot of like, you know, capitalism is bad, climate change is real type stuff um, that I think there has been amongst older and more conservative Catholics, there has been like, um, they're not super into him (laughs) for those reasons. Yeah. Um, It's like, they're socially distancing themselves. Yeah. Um, I do want to say a caveat that, like, yes, he said that stuff about civil unions, but I think I'd, I I think that he's also on record as saying, like, trans people are, I, he's used, like, very um, discriminatory and bigoted language to describe mm. trans people. So, like, sure, like, maybe he thinks cis gay people are allowed to have families um, and are children of God, but I think he's still... Yeah, he's he's still yeah. A pope. I think basically and, just getting yeah. any kind of you know <laughs> um, uh, any kind of authority on on queer life and uh, politics from a religious figure is probably not the best move. Yeah, yeah, and it was very conflicting for me because like it's not like I was asking for his approval to live my life anyway, but now not now that he said it. Then everyone's like, oh, but it's okay now. I'm like, but I don't really need him to say it's okay. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I, I was very conflicted this week. I'm like, I'm not looking for your approval. I wasn't asking for it anyway. But now that he said it, it's like, ugh, okay, what does this mean? I don't <laughs> right. know. So I guess it's a, it, no, we were talking about a, um, M, we were talking about the uncertainty mm-hmm. that we feel both D and I and during these times. And I think that's really, you know, at least for myself, um, it's what really gets to me when you know, I'm dealing with mental health um, when it's like, you know, all these questions and you don't really have an answer for them and then you stew in them and then obviously when you're in lockdown, it's not great. Definitely, it's a very, it's a very kind of, it's a difficult thing, I think, to, you know, not just exist in these times, but exist in them and also be kind of thinking about them in this like critical way, which I think, is something that we're trying to do like in this space right like with this podcast and you know in other spaces that d and i work in because i think there's like an added layer on top of it too you're not just like living through it but you're you're thinking about it too and i think like especially for maybe i don't know if it's a it's a writer thing or like or too imaginative or too creative or something but you, you your mind does kind of spiral a little bit um at times kind of thinking about the situation while you're simultaneously living through it so um 
yeah, I that this is all to say that I am also having a lot of these thoughts about, yeah, what kind of times we're living in and and how do we how do we get through it? What's going to be there for us on the other side? You know, both of you work in the same sort of um, place. Like, how 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 has work been um, encouraging in terms of taking care of your mental health in during these times? Um, I think M is largely the person who's most responsible for advocating for that. I think we work in an industry where people often neglect their own mental health. Um, and I've been working with like, yeah, it's it's a bit of a contradiction where we like promote certain progressive values and, and other people's rights, but at sometimes at the expense of our own mental health. And so mm. I think M has been responsible for a big culture shift in our organization to prioritize mental health. So yeah, I, I, M, do you want to talk about what you've kind of done to do that? Yeah, uh, trying. Like, I don't know if it's been 100% successful. I think all habits die hard, you know. Um, I was actually talking to uh, mm -hmm. some someone recently about uh, someone else who also kind of um, dabbles in activism and also deals with kind of mental illness and and um, mental health issues. And they were kind of saying like, don't you kind of feel like activism is ableist sometimes? And I was thinking about that um, and I was like, it's actually, mm. in, in a lot of ways, I, I definitely see that because there's a lot of expectations about a certain, um, you know, ability to work, a certain ability to, you know, be on top of things and like you're kind of in these very high stress situations all the time, you're exposing yourself to a lot of trauma. And, um, you know, if you're a person right. who's kind of already lived through a lot of trauma or is dealing with like, mental illness that you know leads to you being kind of not able to function as quote-unquote well as you know the quote-unquote average person in society it actually it actually becomes really difficult to be in these spaces um and for my part you know a lot of the initiatives that I kind of initiated in our workplace or as much for myself as for anyone else, because I am a person who has a chronic mental illness. I've been living with a variety of mental illnesses since I was basically for my entire adult life. And um, I knew that if I was going to mm -hmm. kind of be in this workplace and continue doing this work that I really, really am passionate about, I needed to create some kind of structure within the workplace to um, ensure that my health was protected. So um yeah. i created this like peer support uh session kind of for people on our team to uh just have a place to talk about our feelings and um our thoughts on all the stuff that was like happening to us in this like political sphere um a security expert to kind of think about mental health in terms of uh psychosocial security so like starting to treat mental health as not just this kind of appendage of you know um a nice to have but thinking about it more as an essential part of our organization you know something that we need to have yeah. in order to because you can't do the work unless you're you're you know if you're if you're not well and if you're in a state of like constant anxiety and constant emotional pain like how are you going to yeah. do anything like how are you going to do the work you know so it's like it's so essential for us to be able to be 
in as good a space as possible and to take care of each other. But, you know, I, I think it's only now that our organization's really starting to, to, you know, realize that as a whole. And it, it it's, it's a structural thing. I think that's the, the part that I always, that, that's the way I try to approach it. It's not about any particular individuals, but about how as a collective, we think about these things. And, and the same is true for society too, right? Because, um, society as a whole doesn't really value mental health. And even if on an individual level, we're taking care of our own mental health or even, um, you know, talking about it, it doesn't really, it doesn't have the same impact as if, you know, we try to implement these structural changes in our, in our society. So, yeah. Yeah, I, lo I, lo I like the way that you said, you know, you got to take care of yourself first before you kind of take care of others. It reminds me of like, you know, the in-flight yes. safety video where they always say that you should put it on your own oxygen mask before you put it on, you know, your kid or whatever. But using that as an analogy, I think that's, that's, that's very beautiful. It's kind of like, we kept trying to like get the budget to do it. Like, and again, I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things as well of like, what's a priority you know where like what do we kind mm -hmm. of see as essential and what do we see as as inessential and like secondary and i kind of reached a point especially in the past couple of months which have been obviously really difficult for a lot of people um as the pandemic has kind of like mm -hmm. stretched on i think much longer than any of us expected honestly like i think if you had asked people like you know six months ago they would have never dreamed that we would be looking at a vaccineless situation like a, a situation where we didn't have a vaccine you know at this point in the year but like as it's dragged on further um we really need to like provide this service for our team so yeah. i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it <laughs> yeah i mean do you guys have company insurance as in no insurance? uh we yeah we work in an industry that's very precarious in terms of funding um we have mm -hmm. to apply to grants and stuff to get money. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess I think I think there's some acknowledgement that it's important and that like um, because we do face a lot of stressors in our work and um, you know I mean like like M said like the world doesn't care about mental health like it's hard to find a grant. And grants tend to be yeah. in the NGO world, like grants tend to be project based, like people generally don't like to give you money. Like say you say, it costs $10,000 to run my company or my organization. Um, grant bodies are usually not willing to give you $10,000 to run your company They or organization. They will like say, well, if you do a project that, um, you know, empowers women, we can give you money for that, right? Um, so they they won't pay rent for the organization or um, they won't pay for laptops unless you can prove like you need the laptop to empower women, you know? So it's, yeah. And, and if, yeah. if it, it's project-based. Yeah, it's project-based and um, yeah. And like, you know, if, if you want to think about mental health as necessary and like essential, then it would be part of your operations costs, right? But again, it's hard to get operation yeah. cost money. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah, the world doesn't value mental health. And this is what one of the ways in which it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's all... yeah, and if I could, if I could just speak to that, I think it's also like, um, 
it's I think this mentality of like even the project base like funding and stuff um it kind of speaks to as well um I think we as a society have this idea that we, we like the idea of um things being kind of very easily kind of wrapped up in um in you know quickly wrapped up and quickly done in like this you know short-term way like it's like okay yeah we prefer to have things where there's a very clear beginning middle and end and you know like once it's resolved that means that the problem has been solved but i mean what we know through you know activism work is that it's it's really not that simple like activism and you know making change in the world is such a long-term process right and and I mean like the the history of kind of like like queer activism for example is you can definitely see that right like it's 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 not so simple as like okay yeah we you know get the right to have gay marriage in like the Supreme Court and like in the U S and boom that means like you know homophobia is cancelled like we we solved the problem woohoo yeah. it's actually no it's a much more it's a much longer struggle and also a struggle that that is going to have its ups and downs and like it is can't be neatly resolved and has many dimensions. And I think that's the same for mental health as well. Like people like to think about it as this kind of very easy narrative of like, you know, I was I was going through a hard time, but now I'm fine. Or like, you know, I'm I'm all better now, I'm recovered now. Um, so I'm not like those other mentally ill people who can't get their lives together. You know, it's it's actually like for someone, like I said, having been someone who has had a chronic mental illness for basically my whole adult life. Like I use the term chronic to describe this experience of it being a long-term journey and something that I don't ever think will be resolved. Yeah. I don't ever think that I'm going to like wake up one morning and be quote unquote mentally healthy for the rest of my life. Like, I don't think that that's a possibility mm -hmm. for me, but actually coming to terms with that mm -hmm. has been more reassuring than any treatment that I've ever gone through because once you realize that it is going to be this long-term kind of struggle and long-term process and journey, then the shame evaporates, you know, the, the sense of like, why can't yeah. I be, you know, better? Why can't I be fixed? It, you don't have those thoughts anymore. So, um, yeah, I think, I think these things are all like really tied to each other. Could you, um, maybe talk a bit more about, um, like the the social construction of like what it means to be mentally healthy how does that what does it maybe look like concretely do you have any examples yeah um so i mean i can speak from i guess my own experience which um i think has been um is maybe a bit more extreme or out there compared to I think a lot of people who struggle with mental health may have experienced because I've also had you know very tangible experiences with the psychiatric industry and um and I would say that you know um that is the kind of uh, that's the kind of zenith or like the extreme point of like what happens in this like social construction of of mental health because they are the ones who really enforce it. Like 
similar to the way like you know the police enforce what it means for something to be a crime by arresting people and stuff um it's kind of similar in that regard to psychiatry and um I was involuntarily warded uh, in a psychiatric institution when I was 18 uh, in the United States where I was studying at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, I considered myself to actually be a survivor of psychiatry because that was um, the place where I was warded was, it was very traumatic, like what I went through. And like, um, you know, I was warded yeah. against my consent. Um, I was lied to by the doctors and told that I'd be released when um, I ended up not being. And the worst thing that happened for me was like, I was an international student in the US at the time. And um, the doctors actually spoke with like, they kind of, to my mind, colluded with my university. Um, and my university actually told me that if I didn't get psychiatric treatment, I would be suspended from my course, um, which, is that legal? Um, Sorry, just to try. I in. think. I think it is just because, like, when you're in a ward, essentially, you they can just kind of like do whatever they want to you. I mean, they can't like legally speaking, but then like you sign away a lot of your rights once you are like warded. And also, I was like eighteen at the time, so I didn't have like I think the. Um, ability to you know be reading through like the the um the forms that they were giving me to sign myself in like this was like my first semester of college it was like my first time living overseas like away from my family and um it it to me that was like to go back to this question of like what is mentally you know how how do these ideas of mentally healthy get constructed it's it's very similar again to like how does the idea of a disability get constructed or what is kind of normal for a um you know like uh for sexual orientation like how that gets constructed it's through like institutions it's through paperwork you know like i signed those papers and i wasn't mentally healthy anymore i wasn't someone who had the same rights as a person who hadn't been in that institution and i i was no longer able to conduct myself in a way that um, I had been before. And I think to, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about like stigma and like the more kind of like day-to-day -day aspects of it. But uh, to me, that's, that's where a lot of it starts. Like the root of it really is in these institutions and these like government bodies where people in power do kind of like they create these distinctions and that's where it kind of that that's that's like you know the the first battleground i guess of where these terms become contested of like what is mental illness what is mentally healthy and yeah like i was you know a normal girl one day and then the next day i was just i was a patient you know who who had signed her rights away basically um yeah i hope that's a good answer <laughs> Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> digesting. Like, sorry, I was just like, well, that's a. I mean, I can't imagine going through that. I mean, being an international student. I mean, I, I think both D and I obviously studied overseas. Um, and if I had to go through that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, it's pretty fucking horrible. Um, yeah. 
No, I can. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just that's terrible. But from what I gather, do you think it's fair to say that you know, mental? What is considered mentally healthy is the absence of whatever an institution says is a mental health illness. Is is that a simple way to say it, or do you think it's more complex than、um, that? I think that it's you know that's an interesting question because I think it's if you look at the history of mental illness,、um, it it really shifts, right? Like what we consider to be. Like this is another reason why I think it's important to understand that these terms are socially constructed because what is considered mentally healthy is constantly changing, and it's also very、mm-hmm. it's very dependent on cultural context. And especially if you look at like, for example, the fact that you know we're we're based in Southeast Asia and we're in this like colonial context, like post-colonial context, you can see how.、Um, This idea of what what mental health is has really you know changed over time with all these political shifts and、um, how it is really it again it's very reflective of what、um, the society at the time thinks about what is normal and what is not.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean the book that I'm working on right now I'm working on a novel、um, which D has read. Quite a lot of, and thank you so much for being the best reader ever,、um, and thank you for your kind compliments as well. Even though my brain will not allow me to accept them, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah. So the novel that I'm working on is actually it. It's actually looking at、um, this idea of like what does it mean to be crazy or like mentally normal or mentally healthy or whatever in in like the Malaysian kind of context because. I actually had a great grandma、uh, on my mom's side who,、um, quote unquote, went crazy because she was、mm-hmm. allegedly cursed by a bobble. And when that story was told to me, I was like totally fascinated by it because the symptoms that they were describing at the time, or the way they described like her kind of quote unquote going crazy, were you know, to me like they kind of sounded like oh maybe it's. You know, kind of indicative of some kind of dementia or like Alzheimer's, or you know. So I was kind of already、mm. thinking about you know how these these things, these states of being that we would now consider to be medical,、uh, were kind of seen as supernatural back then. But then I was also very interested in like how the word crazy was being used and like how it was like emphasized that she was like she went crazy. And obviously, this was a time where I was like. You know, kind of going through my mental health struggles as well, and、um, it kind of through all my research for this novel, I've really kind of discovered that we've always, as human society, tried to grapple with like people who experience things differently than the average person, or like altered states of being. You know, states of being where you hear voices, or you have like you know intense emotions that you can't control, or Where you feel like you have multiple people living inside you, like these things have always existed、mm-hmm. throughout time, and in the past or even now, like some people see it as like you know it's a spiritual thing or like it's a like、um, supernatural thing. A lot of people believe it that way, but it's always been part of the human experience, and I think that that's the thing that we're missing from our current understanding of mental health, which is that it's actually not abnormal for people to feel these things and. To have these kind of like, like even depression, like 
how is depression abnormal? It's so normal to the human experience. Every single one of us has probably been depressed at some point in our lives, right? Like, would you even be a human being if like, let's say your parents passed away and you weren't like depressed and grieving, right? Like, it's just like, it's very sad to me anyway. It's kind of sad that we've pushed a lot of these intense feelings to the sideline and we're categorizing them as abnormal when actually they're so they're so integral to the human experience and the last point of all is like especially right now in this current political moment if you're not feeling depressed and anxious at some point like is your head really like you know i is your head buried in the sand like where where do you live like i want to go join you you know what i mean so it's like how can we you know how how even the idea of there being a kind of distinction between these like normal emotions and abnormal emotions is it's such a arbitrary difference especially when you start bringing in things like you know like like politics like the social situation of the world yeah and and actually what you were saying just now em about how um yeah we make these distinctions of abnormal versus normal like very binary ways of thinking and at a certain point like until quite recently actually homosexuality was considered a mental illness right it's like not that long ago that western psychiatry declassified homosexuality as a sign of mental illness yeah Um, yeah is it still considered as such well yeah i think i mean so that's the thing like I think in the Western world, it's been declassified as a mental illness. But here, often you will see um, doctors. Well, yeah, the DG of health, um, who a lot of people, I think it's in the beginning of the pandemic, he was kind of hailed as like a hero. Like he's the only one who knows what he's doing. Um, And slowly he's like become more aligned to the ruling powers in Malaysia right now. And so I think people are less hero worshipping him. But he very recently made a statement about how um, basically being gay is wrong and there is medical science to back that up. He was like bringing up gender dysphoria and how, um, you know, that is a mental disorder. And, I, and gender dysphoria is still in considered a mental illness, I believe, in, in the West. Um, and there are people, I, I, I can't speak too much to this, because I, I uh, but I know there are proponents for keeping it in, um, and and people for who would like to declassify it. And some of the arguments for leaving it in is that it eases the ability to gain medical transition. So if you can be diagnosed with gender dysphoria by a psychiatrist, you can then access medication like hormone replacement therapy to begin a gender affirming transition. Um, Whereas like, you know, proponents of taking it out, I think the argument is like, uh, it shouldn't have to be medicalized, right? And and it also, I think then kind of boxes trans people into a very specific uh, category of like, you're only trans or your trans identity can only be affirmed if you try to transition um, medically, right? Whereas like people who are not binary trans people um, may not want to medically transition. And and yeah, so then like the medicalization of trans bodies and identities is is um, a problem. It doesn't allow people to be re- validated and recognized as trans if, if we only take like gender dysphoria as like um, 
part of being trans, which is, yeah, it's like, it's problematic, right? Because, and again, similarly to how people have always recognized that um, altered states of different types have existed, as you were saying, there's actually um, a plurality of cultures where people have recognized trans identities throughout time, like even in Malaysia and Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we, we talked. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, we talked, uh, O and I talked about um, in Kelantan where, um, you know, young dancers like often are trans women um, and and um, there are other instances of gender diversity that are non-binary in, in this country um, historically. And um, yeah, and it's, 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 but we've, we've regressed in a way because we had, we were colonized and we adopted Western ideas of gender, um, which are very binary. And yeah, so I, I, I think, yeah, what you said about how it's been institutionalized, like what we consider mentally healthy. It's also, and you mentioned it too, it's like very related to being queer as well, because yeah, and queerness has been medicalized. It's been institutionalized as well. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because it's like, when you start thinking about the fact that queerness has been medicalized and institutionalized, it it becomes a reflection where you realize that, like, that means that, you know, heterosexuality and, like, relationships and, like, the other side of the, the kind of spectrum has also been similarly institutionalized, but it's not recognized as such because it's the quote-unquote normal. But when you start, I mean, like, not to dunk on Singaporeans but when you start like hearing about the ways that for example the like family planning is done in Singapore and like you know these like like heterosexual couples are really like their housing and their lives are like so dictated by the government and um it's like their their relationships are so mediated by the state and by these institutions it's kind of like how is you know, that's also part of this process of like trying to control what is queer and like trying to control uh, people on the margins. And I think that people kind of in the in the system, let's say, like who aren't on the margins, they don't realize that they're part of this, like they're they're kind of being similarly controlled as well. But because they have this kind of scapegoat of the people on the margins, they are able to kind of just allow it to happen in their own lives. But it's actually, it's systemic, right? Like it's happening to all of us, regardless of where you're positioned um, on this kind of spectrum. Um, and it's the same thing for mental health as well. Like, even though, you know, you could be mentally healthy one day, um, you know, it, it could very well be like that tomorrow something really bad happens and, you know, it triggers a psychotic break or it triggers, you know, um, a schizophrenic episode or it triggers a post-traumatic kind of stress response and then where are you going to be at that point you know like who's going to be taking care of you what's going to be supporting you so I think that's why it's like it's so important for people who I, I mean it it's it's important for people who may kind of see themselves as like mentally healthy or like mentally you know who who don't see themselves as being close like 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 who think that mental illness is not relevant to them to realize that actually, you know, me, someone who is mentally ill, I'm not so different from you. And like, 
you know, we could be, you could be me one day, or like you could have this in your life one day. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, don't be so quick to kind of just push it aside as something that, that is irrelevant to you. For a quick review, like you, you mentioned that you were part of um, a psychiatric hospital, mm-hmm. right? And you mentioned that psychiatry is like the zenith of sort of the mental health sort of um, institutionalized system machine. Um, so let me just break it down for our listeners and for myself as well. Like, what is what is how does that look like? What is the pyramid scheme here? Like, is it like therapy and then psychology and then psychiatry? Uh, you know, what are the le- are there levels here that that um that we should be aware of? Um, you know, that's like that's a really interesting question. I guess like, um, I think it really depends on maybe where you are and um how you're interacting with the psychiatric system. But like psychiatry on the mm-hmm. whole, it's it's more the it's the very medicalized side of it. So it's usually like in the hospital yes. and um it's the side where they can prescribe you meds. So like uh, only psychiatrists mm-hmm. can prescribe medication usually. Psychologists and therapists are, um, they can refer you to a psychiatrist, but they usually don't have the qualifications yes. to actually prescribe medication. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, if we want to get into kind of like um, the medical side of like psychiatry as well, that's like a huge issue. Like a lot of people there are a lot of people Mm. kind of in the mental um well i guess like the kind of more radical side of like the mental health movement who are very against psychiatry because they see it as very oppressive and they see it as like they see medication as being very oppressive they've had really bad experiences with it um i myself i am on medication and it's been very very helpful to me so i I don't think mm-hmm. that like I'm in a position to necessarily say that all psychiatry is bad, but I do think like like any other big system and institution, like they are very you know when power goes unchecked and it goes like un kind of um, uncontrolled. I think there's definitely like a lot of abuse that happens, um, and yeah. uh, as someone in the survivors of psychiatry movement, um, I've heard a lot of horror stories of people being like uh, you know. I mean, and some of this happened to me as well. Like, you know, they're not allowed to use a the toilet. They're like tied up and uh, restrained. I was forcibly restrained as well. Um, they are, yeah, like lots of um, not giving people their rights. So like giving them documents when they're like really drugged up or like when they're in a very emotional state and then like asking them to yeah. sign them. And then, you know, just like, you, um, you know, using that as an excuse to do stuff to them, et cetera. Um, and then i think so i think that's like yeah like psychiatry is definitely something that um to that level maybe not a lot of people kind of come in touch with um whereas Mm. i think the psychology and like therapist side of it like it's definitely a bit more like i don't know i guess maybe like cat cat no not casual that's not the right word it's like i think yeah maybe a lot more people the entry level <laughs> of your mental health. I see a psychologist every two weeks. Um, and I've been lucky enough to, because I work for, yes, I work for a capitalist <laughs> industry who pays for my therapy slash psychology visits. So I've been quite fortunate to have that experience. Um, but 
yeah so i just i just want to say that you know i'm i'm also you know looking after my own mental health and and i started off in therapy and then um it kind of didn't really work for me i i think for me it was a try and error like to get to get the right therapist slash psychologist um and then i finally found a psychologist and i actually did see a psychiatrist at some point just to get a sense of what that experience would be and then like you said it was when when it came to um uh breast access it was like oh do you want medication and i was like no i don't and because i wasn't really sure what that entailed right uh and so i kind of stuck with not stuck but um i continued on with my psychologist visits which have been helpful for me i've been doing it for about two years now um, That's awesome. I mean, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, for me, it's been really helpful. Um, but you know, we'll get to the economics of it <laughs> later, maybe because you know, if I have to say, like, would I pay two hundred fifty dollars an hour, or would I be able to afford that if my company isn't paying for me or my insurance isn't paying for me? Probably not for the past two years for sure. Um, but yes, I me mean, just going back to your experience on the, the psychiatry part, like because i know you it was kind of like a fast track for you right into psychiatry um did you kind of have experience with therapy or psychologist before that experience or was it just kind of like it bam? was a bit it was a bit bam it was a bit bam <laughs> um yeah. but i yeah. think um see the interesting thing about therapy and psychology is that i and i i really want to get into the economic side of it too um which is like mm-hmm. i think that like everyone should be able to have a therapist like I think that that is like it's yeah it's kind of um to to me the fact that therapy and psychology has become this like medicalized thing as well is um I think it does stop a lot of people from kind of getting into it because they and again it's it's a it's that kind of ableist thing of seeing mental illness as being negative and bad so you don't want to be kind of associated mm-hmm. with it so you don't want to go to therapy because like that's what crazy people do etc but Mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. think part of the work of kind of um, destigmatizing, you know, what it means to be mentally ill, um, uh, hopefully a knock on effect of that is like, like people kind of realize that therapy is just like talking to another person and like listening and having them listen intently to you and give you feedback and give you their full attention. And like, that is such a important thing that people should have in their lives. And if, you know, mm-hmm if it so happens that the issues that you're dealing with is stuff that is like kind of, you know, you you need someone who has been trained to listen and to give feedback and to kind of um, have the language to help you with it. I mean, I don't like what's abnormal or strange about that. Like, you know, a lot of us have problems that are very severe and like it, not severe, but like uh, have problems that maybe our friends or our parents or whatever, they don't know how to talk to us about it, just as I'm sure that they have problems that we can't help them with. So what's wrong with like going to someone who knows what to do and knows how to help and like just talking to them for an hour a week, like what, how does that make you, you know, quote unquote crazy or anything? So it's like, I I really think that like, I hope that we're moving towards a society where something like therapy or like, like the principles behind therapy and psychology, which is that everybody deserves the chance to like, you know, share what's going on inside them and like have that internal reality validated and listened to. And that our internal realities are important. Our mental and emotional states are very important Mm -hmm. to us and as important to our lives as our physical health. Um, I hope that that mentality just continues to grow in society to a point where it's, 
it's not like this kind of strange, like, you know, this, this kind of exceptional part of life. It's just an everyday part of life that's as simple as like, you know, you going to the gym or something. I would say that from my experience, my therapy sessions or psychology sessions have been helpful for me to regulate my emotions, especially when, you know, very intense moments, especially during COVID, which was kind of insane lockdown. Um, and it was helpful, at least to me. And I think the fact that you say that, you know, it's normalizing the human experience is something that, you know, I resonate with. D, just not to put yeah. the spotlight on you, but what's your experience? I am looking to get a therapist. I I think I have tried to cope as best as I can without a therapist. I've done meditation, which mm-hmm. has been helpful, but I think, you know, it doesn't replace therapy. Um, and I think it has its limits of usefulness. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just going to trigger warn. I'm going to talk a little bit about an eating disorder. Um, I have, I think I, I've not been diagnosed, but I, I believe that I have um, a, a disordered eating behavior. Um, so I, I wouldn't be considered anorexic or bulimic by other people, but I think that I have a difficult relationship with food and my body. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think... Mm-hmm about what I eat a lot, I think probably a lot more than other people. Um, And it's compounded a bit because I have polycystic ovary syndrome, which is quite a common um, hormone disorder. And a lot of the advice you're given by doctors is to lose weight and to manage your PCOS by losing weight. Yeah. Your audio is going out, in and out. Is it still bad? Yeah. I think it's my bad. Cut off the ring when you say PCOS. PCR. Oh, I can't. Yeah, my, my PCOS, battery is also yeah. dying. Okay, so <laughs> try to make it. Um, yeah, so like the, I, it's compounded by having polycystic ovary syndrome, and the the medical advice you're given by a lot of doctors is um, to lose weight when you have PCOS. And so I'm being told by one set of doctors to lose weight to just, and it's always like just lose weight, um, which is actually quite difficult for people with polycystic ovary syndrome it's more difficult to lose weight um and you know i mean and that just takes a a mental health toll on me to to be trying to do this and not being able to do it um so yeah i think i think uh i would like to see a therapist about that um i think you know because it's i think i'm only starting to realize like that it is it is a problem and also like that i don't have to live like this for the rest of my life like i don't have to always have a difficult relationship with food and my body. Um, so I think mm-hmm. for me, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking for. Um, so yeah, if anyone has a recommendation for a, a therapist um, who, who specializes in that, let me know. Um, and I'd be happy to share it with others who may be struggling. I just want to quickly touch on sort of the economics of, sort of mental health. Uh, well-being, um, like I mentioned before, like you know, um, I do um, go for therapy at least twice, uh, once every two weeks, um, and that's you know a lot of it's been subsidized. Slashed, actually, it's been fully subsidized by my company, which has been pretty great at you know providing that service. Um, but I know, and I'm not sure how it is in KL or Malaysia in in general. Uh, where I am, it's 
very expensive to get therapy. It's about two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars an hour, um, and that's you know from a therapist to a psychologist to even I think it's, maybe psychiatrist is a bit more like three hundred to four hundred. Um, but I know the you know we we're just talking about you know in your journey to maybe want to 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 looking at seeing a therapist. Like, has money been an issue for you in that sense, or is that something that has been covered? By your insurance, your personal insurance. Uh, I don't think so. It was a big deal that recently one of the insurance companies in Malaysia said they would cover mental health services. In so, mm-hmm. but even after that announcement, I think looking at the finer print, it's quite limited. Um, and yeah, largely insurance policies in Malaysia don't cover mental health, um, so you have to pay out of pocket. Yeah. And I think. If you're going to an experienced person, it's probably somewhere around two hundred to three hundred ringgit um, an hour. And there are mm. um, cheaper options. There are a few services like, you know, um, there are students who are studying, like maybe they're doing their masters or like they're almost qualified, and they will be supervised by someone more experienced, and you can see them for a discount. Um, and yeah, so I think we'll link to some of these services. There have been a few that have been shared that are um, queer affirming. That's the other challenge yes. in Malaysia too, is like making sure that you're going to a mental health professional mm. who is not going to try and um, force you to like basically like spring some conversion therapy or say messed up things about being queer. That's also a, a challenge that exists for queer people in Malaysia trying to access mental health services. Um, so there's been a few shared on social media, like services that are queer affirming. So they're not going to try and, you know, make you feel bad about being gay or tell you that like, you know, yeah. you're, you're sad because you're gay. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll link to those um, in the episode notes, I think, or, or we'll I'll share it on our social media so that you can look if you are curious or like looking for, for a place to talk to somebody yeah and what about you em like how has money been an issue in terms of getting help in malaysia um, you know in in my personal life um i'd say that that's actually something that i'm very very privileged i've never struggled with because um i do come mm-hmm. from you know a pretty well-off family and even though um mm-hmm. i wouldn't say they've been the most supportive around my mental illness they have like financially supported me which is like i think not something that a lot of people have um and i mm. acknowledge my own privilege in that and am extremely grateful for it um and i think for me the question is um how do we kind of create a society where there is you know equitable access to things like mental health services for everyone um or how do we create a society that isn't so, you know, damaging to people's mental health? Um, and I think that's really the way forward in terms of kind of ensuring that everybody has access to, um, you know, everybody has the opportunity and the ability to be mentally healthy. Um, because, you know, on an individual level, it's, it's really difficult, you know, there's only kind of so far that you can go and it's so easy to kind of slip through the cracks. Like I am still tied to my family um, because of this financial issue. And actually that has kind of an adverse effect on my mental health 
uh, funnily enough, but it's something that I can't ever, it's kind of a catch-22 because if I ever disassociate from them, then I have this like privilege cut off from me. And that's a calculation that I make, you know, fully. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm, I have no kind of like, um, you know, illusions about it being a calculation um, about what's best for me. And I am making a choice in that regard. So I, I, it's not that I'm like a victim or anything, um, but it yeah. is, it is a difficult situation. And like, I kind of wish that I didn't have to make it, but um, I think that the only way that, you know, people are not going to have to be making these calculations um, is if there are more accessible ways that people can access mental health care services, you know, and obviously, like for a lot of people, these calculations are even more, um, they're they're even more stressful, and like, it's it's really sad that yeah. like you know you might have to decide between whether you can afford like medication versus, you know, getting groceries for the month or something. You know, like, pe- but people yeah. have to make those choices yeah. for their lives. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think my experience was like you know even even when you have the resources to go for therapy like going for therapy itself is also at least from my experience is very stressful because <laughs> then you have to open up to someone and like if you don't feel it then you move to another therapist and then it's like a whole it's like <laughs> dating someone almost yes. like you have to open up and then you have to be vulnerable and then like oh shit this is not working out sorry i gotta see another person so it's kind of like you know going through that whole process of finding a therapist that or psychologist or even psychiatrist that works for you is it's another whole other struggle at least in my in, in my in my experience and i think and if if money was um like you said i'm, I'm also quite privileged in a sense where i think even if my company has you know says no we're not gonna focus on mental health i can probably still afford to go to one but i then i think for me you know just looking in the future like i'll be like oh do i really want to spend this kind of money on you know, something that is very invisible, right? It's not tangible when you're talking to someone about mm. your mental health. I mean, from speaking of it now, like, I would definitely pay the money. But, like, you know, if it's, you know, the difference between, like you say, you know, buying groceries or seeing someone, I think that's when you have to make really tough choices, which I guess none of us can speak to at this stage. Yeah, like, like DC will link um, everyone up to all these sort of LGBT affirming therapy and counseling in Malaysia and in Singapore. If you do have um, something you want to address, you know, feel free to contact these organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, M, um, for for coming on and sharing with us. Um, yeah, it means a lot, and I think I think this is a helpful conversation. I think um, we don't often have these conversations in Malaysia to begin with, and like in the queer context, like probably not at all. It's it's very few people who do. So um, thanks for coming on and, and being open yeah. with us about um, something that, that often people don't want to talk about, right? Um, yeah. Honestly, anytime. Yeah. I think like, <laughs> thanks for having me. All right, I think that's it for us from this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And um, as always, we love hearing from you. So you can email us at queerfromthestraits at gmail.com or message on one of our social media accounts. And um, yeah, we're still deciding what the next episode is going to be about. Maybe we'll review some of those ideas from 
um, the time we curated Queer Malaysia and and get some ideas. But also, if you if you have something, let yeah, us know. Yeah, and then we are you know very open to topics that you know um, that you want us to talk about. I mean, obviously, if we can't speak to the topic, we'll try to find special guests uh, like what we did today with M. Until then, uh, we hope you guys stay safe and see ya. Take care. Bye. Bye.